Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, and you're listening to the Better Off Podcast. On this week's episode of Better Off, we're talking the F word, fiduciary, with Megan Lenhart, writer at Money Magazine, and Jack Otter, the editor at Barron's.com. People don't read the fine print. People don't understand what they're paying their advisor, how they're paying their advisor. And so regulation like this both helps make this more transparent, and it also sits there and holds the firms more accountable. You can spend 10 minutes with Consumer Reports, walk into a car dealership, and you know almost as much as the dealer does. Okay, when you walk into the doctor wondering whether you have a hernia or you need a hip replacement, it's not the case. You need that doctor to be acting in your best interest. Same with a lawyer. You don't know the law. He does. It's also the same with a financial advisor. All that and more coming up next on the Better Off Podcast. Welcome to the Better Off Podcast. We're sponsored by Betterment, the smarter way to invest your money. I'm your host, Jill Schlesinger. And this show is the one that is a little bit different than your usual money show. This is an unconventional and entertaining way to look at your money and your life. Now, a bunch of you wrote in, and if you want to write us, just send us an email, ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. And you wanted to know why we did not talk about Dow 20,000. Do you know why I didn't talk about Dow 20,000? Because it doesn't mean anything. It means nothing. As a matter of fact, it is really just a number. And by the way, it's such a lousy index, but that's a whole other conversation. If you're going to look at an index and you want to take a big picture of what's going on, then look at the Wheelshire 5,000 or look at the S&P 500, but don't look at the Dow. But that said, I got bigger fish to fry and so do you. And that's really what we're talking about today, because today's program is going to be about something called the fiduciary standard. Okay, this is an important concept. We've talked about it before. We're going to have really intense conversations about this because under the new administration, there is an effort underfoot to maybe change this rule. What is fiduciary? Let's let's go back a second. That is the standard of care which requires financial professionals to put your interest first, you the client. This is like one of those burning issues for me because I'm a CFP, certified financial planner, and uh, every CFP is held to the fiduciary standard. That's why I'm so passionate about this topic, but I'm not the only one. Our sponsor Betterment has been quite vocal about supporting the Department of Labor's proposal to extend the fiduciary standard to anyone offering advisory services for retirement accounts. The rule was supposed to be going through, and then all of a sudden we're going to have this moment where maybe it's not actually going to go through. I'm, I'm so so exercised about this because why in a business where you're actually dealing with people's money and their trust, why you would fight against putting your client's interest first is beyond me. It really is. And so we're going to delve into fiduciary today. We've got two great guests, Jack Otter from Barron's. He's uh, super. I worked with him back at CBS Money Watch and Megan Leonhart from Money Magazine. Both of them know this issue backwards and forwards. So we're going to dive into fiduciary. We're going to tell you what you need to know and why you should be working with an individual or a company like our sponsor, Betterment, that is held to the fiduciary standard, that wants to put you first and doesn't wait for the law to tell them to do that, that they're doing it already. 
And stay tuned after the interview. We'll answer your questions. If you've got a financial issue, just shoot us an email. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. And we'll get you on the air because that's really fun to really talk to people and, and deal with the issues that are impacting your financial life. So we'll do that right after the interview. Right now, it's time for Jack and Megan. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. Okay, it's time for our interview segment. Hey, here's a first for Better Off. We've got two people in the studio. Megan Lenhart, who's a writer at Money Magazine. Jack Otter, the editor at Barron's.com. Uh, by the way, um, we always like to start the interview segment with a, a fun question. Megan, what is the best money decision you've made? The best money decision I've made? Actually, I was just talking about this, this with some friends. I recently installed the Honey uh, app into my browser, which shows you all the coupons when you're doing all your online shopping, saved me a bundle during my Christmas shopping. Wow, I love that. There, that's news you can use. Jack Otter, what's the best money decision you made? Uh, back when I was even younger than I am now, mm. uh, only a couple decades ago, I was freelancing and uh, as a writer as well as a regular day job. And I said to myself one day, where does that money go that when they send me those checks for these articles I've been writing? And I had absolutely no idea. So I called this guy who owned the radio station I was working for and said, hey, Paul, um, I'm making this money. I don't know what I'm doing with it. I should probably invest it, but I don't know anything about that. And he put me in a load fund. Um, a commission-based evil fund. Exactly. And I had no idea why the $1,000 I gave him turned into $950, but it still was a good decision to start investing. And years later, I learned what happened to that 50 bucks. Oh, yeah. Hmm. And we're going to talk about that. Yes, for- we are. Yeah. Okay. We have brought you guys into the studio today to talk about this very weird word, which we like to call the F word, called fiduciary. And Megan, can you give us a little bit of a background here? For years, the fiduciary standard has been floating out there, the F word, fiduciary. Um, What is it and why is it important in the context of advice giving when it comes to investors? Well, Jill, I think when you say floating, I mean, it's been decades. (laughs) It's been out there for quite a while. And it's funny that a lot of investors, it's still a brand new word for them. And I think that's a key point here in this discussion. I mean, when you're working with a financial advisor, call them what they may, a broker, essentially, you will be having to deal with this a lot and you may not even realize it. It's one of those situations where an advisor right now only has to advise you on things that are suitable. They just have to give you something that is going to work for you. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the best option out there or the cheapest option or anything like that. It's just something that may work for your investment profile. The, and the best, the, you know, I had a great example of this that I found, I ran across. I, I had a, a colleague of mine at CBS and they said, well, you know, this this guy told me to buy a 529 plan. What do you think? I said, I love 529 plans. They're a great way to save for college. This is a New York State resident. And uh, the guy says, he, the, my broker dude, he told me to buy the Rhode Island 529 plan. And I said, that's funny. I used to live in Rhode Island, um, but you're a New York resident. And if you buy the New York plan, you actually get a tax benefit. But if you buy the Rhode Island plan, you don't. So in that case, the advice to buy a 529 plan, suitable. Right. Was it the best one for this guy? Not really. 
So, Jack, for many decades, the big wirehouses, so the big firms out there, the brokerage firms, even the brokerage firms that you would think might be kind of in the camp of the investor, like the no-load type of funds, they didn't want to be held to this fiduciary standard. Why? (laughs) Uh, Well, that example you just gave is wonderful, Jill. It's such a perfect example of what's going on here. Uh, The reason they didn't is because these companies create financial products. They make a lot of money on their products. Jack Bogle has been railing since before any of us were born about the fact that that money goes to the financial industry and not to the investor. And we're seeing a wonderful trend in money management over recent decades where more and more money is going to the investor. Commissions are coming down. um, The fees associated with mutual funds are coming down, but not as fast as they could be. And the reason is because the most powerful players in this business make a lot of money off of these products. Now, and and by the way, Jack Bogle, founder of Vanguard. Sorry, yes, thanks. And and, uh, creator of the modern index fund. Megan, this started to get some traction after the financial crisis. In fact, There was some thought that Dodd-Frank, the regulatory big fat reform act, was going to put a clause in that said anyone who deals with the public should be held to the fiduciary standard. So that did not happen. But what did happen? So you're right. The the Dodd-Frank Reform Act, which is, you know, instilled a lot of good reforms in our financial system, it sat there and kind of fell short. It it left it up to the Securities and Exchange Commission, and uh, they haven't played ball yet. So instead, the Department of Labor came out and said, you know what, we're going to fill the gap. We are going to make this happen. And uh, I have to give credit to uh, Phyllis Borzy. She's been working tirelessly on this for uh, eight years. Money Magazine actually named her one of our uh, champions last year for, for finally uh, getting a, a rule finalized that will sit there and do this just for retirement accounts, you know, your brokerage account, unfortunately, we still got to wait on the SEC. But we did get some movement, you know, from the Department of Labor. And unfortunately, uh, they've been fought every step of the way. I mean, they put out a rule in 2010. They had to withdraw it. They put out another proposal in 2015. We had endless rounds of comments and sessions in front of Congress and everything. And then we finally got the rule that we all were waiting for last uh, spring in April. And, uh, you know, it hasn't been it hasn't been easy even then. We have, uh, you know, more lawsuits, more legislation. It's been just a roller coaster. So now, Jack, this new rule, which essentially says now anyone who has a retirement account, any individual, you must get the fiduciary standard from the person who's touching your retirement account or the firm. There are some exceptions. There are some carve outs. They have this whatever. It's, 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 very, it's like a little bit in the weeds. But there are some ex- exemptions, of course, because the insurance lobby had to figure out a way to get around it. But essentially, uh, this says financial professionals have to put the interests of these retirement investors first. It was due to begin implementation on April 10th after all the fighting and squawking. Now, under the new administration, 
there is a lot of whispers around that this thing is not going to happen. What are you hearing? Well, uh, the big money management firms that we spoke about earlier, as well as the small ones, uh, have a much more receptive ear in Washington now. And so um, Barron's actually launched a new site called Barron's Advisor Center where they cover this thing in detail every single day. And it does get pretty boring. But as I read those thankfully brief stories, the point is that everyone is trying to figure out ways to delay it. And of course, one of the tactics when you're trying to delay a law is to make the good the enemy of the perfect or the perfect the enemy of the good. And so they're saying, well, you know what, as Megan sort of hinted earlier, it'd be better if the SEC did this and everybody was a fiduciary. So why don't we just stop the whole effort for about 10 years and see what happens? Now, a couple of other things are going. You mentioned that the horse may already be out of the barn. So a lot of these companies have spent enormous sums of money to be in compliance. And they realized as they're doing all this, well, this cost has already sunk. And you know what? This is actually uh, a distinguishing factor for our firm. We can say, hey, we have to act in your best interest. The other guy doesn't. Um, And so they're starting to use that as an advertising line. Um, They're also finding out that, in fact, despite – I mean, I saw this guy on CNBC the other day saying there's no way these people will get – paid now. There's no way you can get advice, which of course is baloney. And they've discovered that. Oh, yeah, there's many other ways to get compensated other than these backdoor kickbacks that nobody sees. Um, So I have a feeling that many more financial advisors are going to be fiduciaries. And so for our listeners, the key is ask that question. And unless you have a very specific reason to choose another path, walk away, say thank you and go find a fiduciary. This is Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. We'll get back to this interview with Megan Lenhart, writer at Money Magazine, and Jack Otter, the editor at Barron's.com, in just a second. Because I think this issue is so important. Fiduciary, you, consumer, feeling like a company is putting you first. You know what's so cool? Our sponsor, Betterment, is a fiduciary. They're not fighting putting the customer or the client first. They've been supporting this initiative since it's been talked about. John and Eli, the co-founders of the firm, they wrote an open letter to the regulators supporting this effort, saying that they believe that customers should come first. And I think this is really the quintessential issue that's facing us as we look at trying to get good financial advice out there in the marketplace. We need to know that someone cares to put our interests before the firm's interest or the individual who's giving us advice's interest. That's why I'm so happy that Betterment is the sponsor of this podcast, because they really do walk the walk and they talk the talk. See how Betterment can help you today. Better Off listeners can get one month managed for free. For more information, visit Betterment.com slash Better Off. Megan, uh, you've covered this for a long time because you have, uh, you know, your your wealth management era behind you. Um, were when this became part of the discussion among the regulators, I wonder were you surprised that there was this deafening silence from some of the large institutions? And I'm not talking about the ones that that you know, the big wirehouses, the big banks and, and, and brokerage firms. But some of the other companies, was that surprising to you? I think it was to some extent. But you have to remember that the individual financial advisor, be, you know, broker or investment, uh, registered investment advisor, 
does believe that they're acting in their client's best interest. And quite frankly, you know, nine out of 10 of them really are. And they really do try to make sure that all of their recommendations are very, very suitable for their clients. But on the flip side, you you have a lot riding on this. I mean, these smaller firms, you know, not not even the the major firms that we all know as household names, but ones that you know you may never heard of. This is going to be very expensive for them to implement. You've got a ton of oversight of these advisors that needs to roll into place, all this extra paperwork that the client has to fill out that, of course, as we all know, it's like uh, all of the privacy uh, things that we sign at the doctor's office or something like that. We're going to sign it and we're probably not even going to read it. And this is really the problem with a lot of this suitability versus fiduciary standard aspect. People don't read the fine print. People don't understand what they're paying their advisor, how they're paying their advisor. And so regulation like this both helps make this more transparent, and it also sits there and holds the firms more accountable. And it's not just that, by the way, that they they can sell the crap still. They just have to disclose that they're selling the crap. Isn't that isn't that right? Right. And this points up a really important point, which is the asymmetry of information between the advisor and the client. And that's kind of a big word. But the point is, you can spend 10 minutes with Consumer Reports, walk into a car dealership, and you know almost as much as the dealer does. Okay. When you walk into the doctor wondering whether you have a hernia or you need a hip replacement, you know that it's not the case. You need that doctor to be acting in your best interest. Same with a lawyer. You don't know the law. He does. It's also the same with a financial advisor. So your guy from with the Rhode Island advice, that sounds perfectly reasonable unless you actually know something and you realize it's terrible advice. My father-in-law asked somebody at one of these mid-sized firms who the teachers union you know, hired to handle his account, why do you have me in this mutual fund? It was a proprietary fund, which means it was a fund that the company had produced rather than being in an index fund, which would have cost one-tenth of the price. And he said, oh, because we know what's in it. We, we know all the components of the fund. <laughs> Jill is laughing because she knows that's complete baloney and you know what's in all funds by with a couple of clicks on the mouse. But my father-in-law didn't know that. And it's to protect people like Jill's friend and my father-in-law that, that we need to establish this standard. And I do feel bad for the companies because the bureaucracy is crazy. And instead of a 300-page law, I wish it could be a five-page law. Yeah, I mean, it almost would be really important for everyone to understand that your number one question of either the firm you're working with or an individual, because, you know, listen, we're sponsored by Betterment, which is a robo-advisor. And robo-advisors are basically fiduciaries because they're able to actually say, we are in compliance with the law because of our algorithms that we sort of put that in place. But, you know, what's funny is that I hear from the small brokers, like, these guys are going to put us out of business and this isn't fair and we can't service the small investor. And so therefore, those people, that was the argument against the law, which was oh, you're going to shut out the little guy from getting advice. And Megan, my my response to that was, I actually would rather you work with an automatic investment platform than work with a conflicted salesperson who may be selling you something that's in your best interest, but may not be. I think part of that, it too, is the argument sort of totally just negates the fact that half the industry is already under a fiduciary standard. There are financial planners out there who are acting as fiduciaries, and guess what? They're able to serve small clients. So I I kind of give that argument a little bit of a grain of salt, and it's a great way for industry opponents of the rule to sit there and say, 
it's it comes off really bad when advisors, you know, and their lobbies and the firms are saying, we don't want a fiduciary standard. We don't want to act in your best interest. That sounds terrible. It makes them horrible, <laughs> horrible people. Nobody's going to get behind that. But you know what? what is really, really appealing to Congress and to a lot of the people in the discussion? Well, this rule is going to make it so we can't help those small investors who are desperate for financial advice. And they're absolutely right. They totally are. But, you know, as I said, you have half the industry already doing this. So this is not a huge step. And uh, I I just pulled this quote, the Financial Planning Coalition, which is um, that was sort of a um, the Certified Financial Planning Board of Standards, the CPA personal financial specialist. They're also fiduciaries. But NAPFA, the Financial Planning Associations, they get together and uh, the Financial Planning Coalition said that, quote, empirical research and the coalition's practical experience confirmed that middle income investors will retain ready access to professional financial advice under a fiduciary standard of conduct. And so they're saying, we're calling BS on that, right? (laughs) That's essentially what they're saying. But here's a question, Jack. If uh, the fiduciary standard is going to become generally accepted, like who who would not work with someone who wants to put my interest first, and that's the case, if all these guys start saying, marketing themselves as, we're fiduciaries... Uh, what does that mean if everybody's a fiduciary? What? How are they going to differentiate themselves from lower cost options? Well, then they, they lose that differentiation. But of course, this business has been going on for a long time where people haven't been using that as a sales pitch. Um, they'll just use the heartwarming commercials that show the widow with her nice, beautiful children and she needs financial advice. And you know what? That's all true. She does. And Jill is a human who gave great advice for many years as a professional advisor and now as a broadcaster. Um, And I think that the human touch is a wonderful thing, especially as your life gets more complicated and you get either wealthy or or you just have other, you know, children and 529 plans and everything else. Um, And they will continue to differentiate themselves by word of mouth, which is a wonderful way when they treat someone well, that person is going to tell their friends and neighbors, this person treats me well. I haven't been ripped off. He hasn't gone to Caracas with my money. And so um, they'll do well. So there's no problem there. I mean, I I will emphasize on behalf of the industry what Megan was saying, that it is very difficult. They're going to have to change their way of doing business. They're going to have to fill out a lot of paperwork. And I do have great sympathy for them. And it's too bad that it's so difficult, but it still is the right thing to do. Um, Jack, you're also, you've got another little side project because you're not busy enough because you have like 800 children, a baby. You had a baby when you were <laughs> too old to have a baby, but actually your wife did it, yes. as I understand. Yeah, she did most of, she work did most that, of the yeah. work. Um, you're also launching, you've launched Barron's Next. Right. And this is aimed at millennials. Right. And what I'm wondering is, you know, we hear all this research about millennials really being fearful of investing. Well, I mean, frankly, I think they're smart to be fearful of investing because if you're thinking about here's an entire industry that's been created that doesn't have to put you first, that's pretty scary. Yes. And so what are they what are you hearing and what are they doing? But I don't think I don't think that that many people are aware of the fiduciary standards. So I don't think they're aware of putting you first. What they're aware of is when they were little, the entire market crashed on the tech bust and they got a little older and they saw their parents freak out when they lost their jobs and their money in the Great Recession and they hear Goldman is a life-sucking squid. And so, of course, they just don't trust the industry and it seems to lose them money. So there's a lot of new answers. They're the robo-advisors and this generation is very comfortable investing via their iPhone. Uh, and it happens to be cheap and a fairly good way to do it. So it's good. Um, at Barron's Next, we're trying to 
break it down simply. You know, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit in this industry. Um, Our friend Alan Roth has a book called The Second Grader's Portfolio. Um, You can get 90% of the way there with just a little bit of the right information. So we're trying to provide that appearance. Oh, wait a minute. Shall we plug your book, Jack? I completely <laughs> forgot about that. Jack also wrote a book before he had his third child. I noticed that second book hasn't come out yeah, so quickly. That's yeah, sure. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, worth it, not worth it. Great book. Fantastic if you're starting out. Parents, you're listening, get your kids this book. Worth it, not worth it. It's Jack's book. It's fun. It's easy. It's a great way to open up a conversation as well. Megan, what is the good news out of the fiduciary story? What 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 can we make me feel better? And also, I, speak for your entire generation, please. Well, I think as as it's been said, this has actually been a naturally occurring process within the industry. I'm not saying that we don't need this regulation. We absolutely do. I think uh, it's important to note that if this rule doesn't go through, um, people who are getting unfortunately screwed by their broker don't really have the recourse to do a lot about it. So this is why this legislation and, and this regulation is super important. But on the flip side, we are getting more transparency. We are getting lower fees. I mean, goodness gracious, we're getting stories every single day about the you know, mutual funds and the index funds lowering their fees, which is fantastic. And we have so many more options right now if you are a smaller investor. Robo-investing is great. Certainly, there's a new robo-advisor coming out on the market every day. There's ones that just operate on your phone now. It's fantastic. So I do think that this is really good news for investors. We're, we're getting much more education for our people. We're getting this topic out there and discussing it. I mean, you know, my goodness, Money Magazine has been on this for a while. And we still see that people are like, wow, fiduciary, this is a new term. So I'm glad people are asking their advisor about, are you a fiduciary? It's great. And that's the number one question you ask, right, Jack? That is the number one question you ask because as Jill, you and I have spoken about so much, there's only very few things you can control in the investment world. You keep your costs to a minimum, you get that market return, and you will beat 80% of other investors because they're paying such high fees. Uh, and you have a fiduciary acting in your best interest. And especially if you're young, you've got 30, 40 years of investment horizon. Those returns are going to compound. It, it's going to work out very well. Jack Otter, editor at Barron's.com, Megan Lenhart, writer at Money Magazine. You ready for your last question? Sure. Okay. We started and said, I asked you the best money decision you've made. Yep. What's the worst? Ooh, the worst. Um, you know, it's actually to Jack's point about starting young. I didn't. I kind of got on the bandwagon a little bit late. I'm not saying I'm super old and that I've, you know, No, you're really young. I thought you'd a millennial, isn't she? <laughs> I am a millennial, uh-huh. but uh, I didn't I didn't start investing right out on my first job and that was a bit of a mistake. I didn't uh, take advantage of the 401k contribute, you know, everything. So a little bit of a bummer now looking back on it, but, you know, I'm making up for it. I'm Good. making up for it. That's excellent. Jack, what's your worst money decision? Not marrying more, more money? Okay. I mean, <laughs> yeah. She's great, but she yeah. didn't have a lot of money. Yeah, didn't bring a lot to that. Uh, you know, the the young, starting young would have been great. I worked at a place that didn't even offer that, so that's probably my worst one. But to bring up another one... Um, I just started this investing process and saving as the tech bubble was was burst. It was was getting bigger and growing and everything. So I said, yeah, I need to be in this tech thing. And I remember I invested in this mutual fund that owned tech stocks, and it tripled. Um, and uh, it then went back down, and I sold it exactly where I bought it. Um, <laughs> and I learned a lot from from that mistake. 
Um, and and now I'm largely in index funds. I don't touch them except to put in it with that every other weekly paycheck. Um, and you know, uh, hoping for the best. And you use the New York 529 plan that, as a New yes, York resident. And get that nice big fat tax deduction. Megan Lenhart, Money Magazine, Jack Otter, Barrons.com. Thank you guys for joining us here. Great to be here. Thank Jill. you. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. Okay, it's now time for the Better Off listener question of the week. If you would like to ask us something, it's very easy. Just shoot us an email. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. We are joined by Robert, who is calling from New York City. Tell me a little bit about yourself and what I can do for you. My situation is actually quite good, um, and so I'm, I feel like I'm doing well, but my, I kind of want to know what I should be doing next. Okay. Um, I'm currently able to max out my 401k every year. Great. For my wife and I, we both are able to max out our Roth IRA as well. I have a lot of savings that are kind of going in automatically. Mm-hmm. We're lucky enough that we're able to save even a little bit more on top of that. So I guess my question is, what, what should I be doing next? kind of another question is it possible to be saving too much for retirement that's an interesting question so first let's let's talk a little bit about how old you are that let's start with that that basic and how old is your wife yeah um we're both 41 okay and you have kids yes and we have two kids um they're like two and five Okay. Um, And uh, when you tell me that you're maxing out, you mean really maxing out, right? Like you're not talking about, you're putting 18 grand away into your 401k, not just maxing. Okay. Yep. 18 grand plus um, I've got like a a 4% come match. So you, wait a second, you're putting 18 grand into your 401k. You said you're also maxing out your Roth. So 5,500 bucks each. Yep. Holy smokes, how much do you make? So this is kind of the interesting thing is I actually only make about 120000 per year, but we're able to just have low expenses. We live in a fairly small apartment. My wife actually takes care of our kids, so we don't have external daycare costs. I, I can't even tell you the number of people who will call me and they make two or three times what you make and they say, I can't save any money. So you are like the beacon of a financial planner um, role model, really. You're, you're, it's amazing. Is there any notion for you guys, since you do have this young family, that you would want to maybe try to save for a house in addition to all this retirement saving? Well, um, I kind of hesitated to call because I, I felt like your listeners would sort of like roll their eyes at my situation and be like, well, why is this guy even like concerned about what to do? Because everything is like rolling for him. And it's true because actually when you talk about a house, we recently did buy a house, like a, a, like a vacation property. And we bought this last summer because I had some saving, extra savings that I was like concerned about the stock market deteriorating with the election and all of that, but, which turned out to not be the case. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, that, but in any event, I had, some, I had enough down payment saves. And then we're actually now we're renting it. We rented it during the ski season. That's great. First of all, I think that there are a lot of people who are in really good financial shape, but they still need some guidance about kind of how to move to the next step. So you've done an incredible job. When you talk about like, can you save too much for retirement? I mean, I guess that on one hand, I would say like, you're doing a great job. I wouldn't stop. I think that saving like this gives you tons of options. Uh, Have you ever kind of looked ahead and said, you know, based on all the money I have saved, 
is this enough? Will it grow fast enough to to get me where I want to go by a certain retirement date? In other words, have you actually played with like a retirement calculator? Um, a little bit, but not, maybe not as much as I should. And I, I guess that's probably a good suggestion. There's this great calculator, um, which has been, I, I don't know why it's like very much under the radar, but um, I find it incredibly helpful. And it's called the Choose to Save Ballpark Estimate. So choose to save dot org um, or if you just type into your browser, choose to save ballpark estimate. And what it does is it basically tallies up all the money that you have. You say this is what I'm this is what I have. This is how I'm contributing. And then it projects growth over a period of time. So maybe by the time, you know, 20 something years from now, you say, OK, I want to retire. And what does that do now? If all of a sudden it looks like you're putting tons and tons and tons of money away into retirement that you actually don't need. There's two choices. One is you could say, oh, cool, I might be able to retire earlier. The other is you might be able to say, hey, instead of saving all this money in retirement, maybe I would save more money in another area. For example, do you want to save money to send your kids to college? Is that something important to you? I always think it's much more important to save for retirement first and then education. But are you using a 529 plan for the kids? We, I did open small ones, but I, I don't make regular contributions. I, I seeded it for both of them when they were born with like $5,000. So maybe once you run your retirement numbers, if it looks like you're completely on track, things are growing, it, it really looks strong, then maybe what I would say is, hey, you know what? Maybe you would divert some of the money that's going into retirement and start putting more money into your 529 plans because you've got young kids. But I think for you, it sounds like you're doing a, a, a really good job. I mean, have you told, if you look at all the retirement assets you have, what's the ballpark figure? I hate to use that because it's not my word, but what what do you have saved for retirement right about now? Um, maybe like, Three hundred and fifty thousand, I think. I mean, that's that's a terrific number, and it's going to grow. And compounding interest is your friend. And so, what I would look at is, I'd play with a calculator. I'd see where you stand. I'd maybe make sure that uh, you're on the right track to retire when you want to retire. And the only other thing besides a 529 plan would be that if you think you might want to not have a vacation home, you want to actually own a primary residence someday, then you would have to start saving money outside of the beautiful tax-protected environment of a retirement plan and have it be available to create a down payment fund. But if you're not that interested in doing that, I would look at the 529 plan. It sounds to me like you're in really good shape. And I don't want anyone to feel embarrassed about calling this show and saying, you know, I, I feel embarrassed that I'm in such good shape. This is awesome. This is fantastic. And it, it just is a very good example of if you start young and you start putting money away and you're diligent and you don't go crazy with how you invest, you don't try to pick tops and bottoms of markets, that you can really, that at, it, by the time you're 40, you got 350 grand that's saved for retirement. That's fantastic. So let's play with some of these retirement calculators and see where you stand. And And you can always give us a call back if you need some more help after that. But I sounds like you're in really good shape, Robert. Thank you much. I, right. I appreciate the, the call. Uh, it was great to talk to you. Thanks for checking in with us. Okay, that's another episode of Better Off. want to thank Megan Lenhart, writer at Money Magazine, and Jack Otter, editor at Barron's.com, for joining us. And thank you for all those great questions. Don't forget, there's a new episode of the Better Off podcast every Thursday. You can subscribe via iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you have any questions or suggestions, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Jill on Money. That's at Jill on Money. Just use the hashtag BetterOff. You can also reach me via email. Ask Jill at BetterOffPodcast.com. That's Ask Jill at BetterOffPodcast.com. And if you wouldn't mind, please leave us a review or a rating in iTunes. It really will help us out. Better Off is sponsored by Betterment. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Delercio produces. I'm Jill Schlesinger. See you next week.